0: The sermon text today is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. 2 Corinthians 1:15 through 22. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a double pleasure. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans like a worldly man, ready to say yes and no at once? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why we utter the amen through him to the glory of God. But it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put his seal upon us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As long as we live
1: in this age with sin and pain, the contentment that we have in God should be a dissatisfied contentment. Paul said in another place besides the text that uh, Mike just read, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. So Christ has made us His own or as our text says at the end, He has confirmed us and anointed us and sealed us and given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. He wants us to be secure and no contentment as we enter the new decade. But, Paul does not say, because I am secure, I coast. He says, because he has made me his own, I press on to make it my own. He longs for perfection. He longs for fullness. His contentment in God is a dissatisfied Contentment. Paul is a dissatisfied Christian. He knows that he has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He knows that God has made over to him every promise. But he also knows that his experience of the fullness of all these spiritual blessings is far short of what it could be. Therefore, he is a dissatisfied apostle. He knows that there's more. There's more experience of the hope to which we've been called. There's more to be known of the greatness of our inheritance with the saints. There's more to be tasted of the exceeding greatness of the power which is at work in us. There's more of the indwelling Christ to be seen. There's more of the work of the Holy Spirit that lifts us and carries us. There's more of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. There's more of the fullness of God. There's more holiness and more love and more compassion and more patience and more boldness and more fruitfulness than any of us has ever experienced. And therefore, every true Christian, every Christian whose contentment is truly from God, must be a dissatisfied Christian must come to the end of a decade dissatisfied, must enter a new decade dissatisfied with what we have known, what we have experienced and tasted of God's great blessing to us. And therefore, every one of us must be a person of prayer. Because prayer is simply the heartfelt expression of holy dissatisfaction. Prayer is the heartfelt expression of holy dissatisfaction. The more you are dissatisfied with yourself, the more you'll pray. The more you are satisfied with yourself the way you are, And the more you are satisfied with the world the way it is, the less you will pray. Little prayer means little desire for God. Dispassionate, perfunctory praying means a dispassionate, perfunctory relationship with God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. Prayer is the heartfelt expression of holy dissatisfaction. We come now to the end of a decade. And I just pray so earnestly that there would be in your hearts a a proper mingling, as you look back, of contrition for sin and unbelief, And a proper gratitude for the all-surpassing grace of God. Both must be there if you're honest and if you have eyes to see and heart to feel what's true. Tomorrow morning, actually at 12 midnight tonight as we gather here at the table, we will enter a new decade. Uh, the decade of the last century of the millennium. And my prayer as we look forward is that there might be a proper mingling of security and contentment in the electing, predestining, calling, justifying, glorifying love of God in Christ Jesus. A mingling of that contentment with a holy, strong dissatisfaction with the way we are. That's my prayer. Tomorrow morning, I want you to give notice to your flesh and to the devil and to the world that you don't belong to them anymore. That this decade will be the decade of your yes to God and of your freedom from sin. I hope that you are planning. If you don't plan it, brothers and sisters, Satan will see to it that it doesn't happen by means of all manner of semi-good things. I hope that you're all planning times of consecration to the Lord tonight and tomorrow and in the first week of the decade. Oh, plan times of consecration alone and as a family and as a church. The question that our text this morning poses for us is this, are you living in the fullness of God's yes to you in Christ Jesus? Are you living in the fullness of God's yes to you in Christ Jesus? Or to put it another way, have you said yes to all of God's yes to you? Or is there in your heart, in response to God's yes to you, a no, a maybe, or a not now? And I call you this morning to consecrate yourself afresh, to say to the Lord, this will be the decade of my total yes to your yes to me in Christ Jesus. I renounce all no's. I renounce all maybes. I renounce all not now's. And I am yours from this day forward in the 1990s. Come what may, I want to say yes to everything that you have said yes to me in In Christ Jesus. Let's look at the text so that you can see this word as clearly and as forcefully, I hope, as I felt it in the last several days. According to verses 15 and 16, Paul has made a plan to visit the Corinthian church twice. He planned to cross the Aegean Sea. He's probably in Ephesus as he writes this. That's where he appends to embark from He plans to cross the sea to Corinth, go up to Macedonia, that's where Philippi is, then come back down to Corinth and go back to Judea. That's his plan, to give them a double blessing. Instead of sort of making a loop in which he hits Corinth once, he planned to hit it twice, up and down. That word came to the Corinthians, and then his plans changed. I'm not going to talk about the motive of his change. You read about that in verses 23 following But we won't look at that this morning. I want to talk about how Paul responded to the accusation fickleness. You know, if you've got enemies, they can find fault in anything you do, absolutely anything you do, no matter how good the motives. Well, Paul came under attack, and the attack went something like this. Oh, sure, he says yes to the Corinthians. Sure, he loves the Corinthians. But tucked away in the back of Paul's heart is a pretty strong no to the Corinthians, too. He really loves his own convenience. He really loves other churches. He really loves his schedule. He really loves those feasts back in Judea more than he loves us. Yes, there's a kind of yes, but there's also a no to us. That's what they were saying, evidently. And Paul comes back at this in verses 17 and 18 with a strong denunciation and says, Was I vacillating? Was I fickle? When I wanted to do this, do I make my plans like a worldly man ready to say yes and no at once? In other words, is my heart divided? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. In other words, my planning and my preaching is not yes and no. My heart is not divided towards you, Corinthians. I love you. I have no ulterior motives. I am for you. I say yes to you. Yes, yes, yes to you. That is my only word to you in Christ Jesus. I'm not against you. I am for you. That's the assertion of verses 17 and 18. I am for your faith. I am for your hope and love and peace and power. I say yes to all these things, all that God could possibly do for you in Christ. I say yes to And then in verses 19 and 20, he shows why his own life is yes to the Corinthians. Namely, because God has spoken his decisive and final yes to them in Christ. Let's read this. Verse 19. For the Son of God, notice that little word for, I just love the way Paul reaches down into the depth of his theology to explain his travel plans. (laughs) Oh, that's the kind of church I want us to be. You take your vacations on the basis of your theology? Will you choose your activities tonight and tomorrow on the basis of your theology? Paul did everything because of Christ and who he was. He found a theological connection to everything. Verse 19, for the, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we preached among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, this Jesus Christ was not yes and no, but in him... It is always yes. Now let me give a more literal translation perhaps of that last phrase and try to bring out its meaning. The yes, that is God's yes it's referring to here. The yes has happened in him. It's a literal translation. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is not God's yes and no to you. God has no yes and no to you in Christ. God has one word for you in Christ, yes. That's what he's trying to say there in that verse. And then he gives an an explanation and ground for it in verse 24. For all the promises that God's ever made, find their yes in Christ, in him. So here's what he's saying. My heart is not divided towards you. Yes no. Yes, I'm for you. And no, I'm really not for you. Because God's heart is not divided towards you. And my heart is in tune with God's heart toward you. In Christ, God's heart towards you is yes. It's like God makes over all of his promises to them. Puts them in their account so that if they come to their account and say, is this promise in my account? God says, yes. Is this promise in my account? Yes. Is this blessing I read about here in my account? Yes. Is this promise in my account? Yes. Yes. They're all there. All the promises are there in your account in Christ Jesus. Yes. I write no invoices. I only write checks to you. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Do you see how crucial it is to be Christ's? If you are Christ's, you are an heir according to all the promises, because all the promises are yes to you in Christ. Christ confirms them. Christ secures them. Christ, as it were, purchases them. They are made over to you in Christ. So, every sinner, mark this now, every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs, finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. You say that again. Every sinner, put Christ in the middle here, every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. And in Christ, all the needs of a sinner meet all the promises of God made over to him. It's an amazing thing. The sinner comes and says, do you love me? And he hears, yes. Will you forgive me? And he hears, yes. Will you accept me? And he hears, yes. Will you help me change? And he hears, yes. Will you give me strength to serve you? And he hears, yes. 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 The promises of God are all yes in Christ Jesus. Now we come to the great challenge of this text in verse 20, the second half. And we see here the connection between what we've been saying and prayer. Verse 20, the second half of the verse says, That is why, referring back to God's making over all the promises in Christ, and saying yes to them for us in Him. That is why, or therefore, we utter the Amen through Him, through Christ, to the glory of God. Or literally, to God for His glory. This verse explains why the Christian church uses the word Amen. And why I wish we used it a lot more in worship services. You know, back when I came to Bethlehem almost ten years ago now, there were a lot more amens in the congregation than there are today. And I wonder what I've done to seal your lips. Or maybe it's a new you, I don't know. But I'll tell you, I hope after you hear the meaning of amen this morning, you will be freed in this service to say either whispered, or amen, so that everybody can hear. I promise you, I will like it. And it will not offend. But let's talk about amen for a minute because it carries a megaton of meaning in this verse. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, amen, came right over into Greek, amen, comes right over into English, amen the same word right on through. And it meant truly, verily, or a solemn, earnest, I agree, I affirm, it is true. That's the basic meaning. And you all know that, I think. A formal, solemn, earnest affirmation of what has been spoken especially about God. Now, notice the connection. This is so crucial to get the full impact of amen. Notice the connection between the first half of verse 20 and the second half of verse 20. The first half says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, in him. The second half of the verse says, that is why we utter the yes. See that now? Once you see that amen and yes mean the same thing, you see the reciprocal nature of God's action and my action here. God says yes to me with all his promises in Christ. And I now, through Christ, utter my yes back to him with my amen to his yes to me. You see the point now? The reciprocal yeses of God to me in Christ, me to God through Jesus Christ. That's the point here. That's the connection. God's yes comes to me in Jesus through his promises. My yes comes to God through Christ in my prayer. Let's notice four things about prayer, then, from this verse. First, prayer goes to God through Jesus. It says, that is why we utter the Amen through Him. Mark that, through Him. We say Amen, not apart from Jesus, but through Jesus. Why? Because when we come through Jesus... We find the word God has spoken in Jesus, which is what? What is the one word he has spoken to our prayer in Jesus? Yes. What is the one word you will hear from God if you approach him apart from Jesus? No. You must go to God through Jesus. Because in Jesus he has one word for you. Yes. To all your prayer and all your longing. And I know it rises in every heart when I say that. What about the prayer I prayed last week that didn't get answered? And the answer to that is, it will be answered in the way you want it or in a better way. That is the solemn faith of every believer in Romans 8.28 and 8.32. He who did not spare His only Son but gave Him up for us all, will He not with Him freely give us all things? He withholds no good things from those who walk uprightly. Your prayer will be answered as you want it or in a better way. His only word to you in Christ is yes. And therefore, the only way any reasonable person would come to God is in Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus, because nobody wants to hear the word. No, everybody wants to hear the word. Yes. And there is one word spoken in Jesus. Yes. That's the first thing about prayer. Second. Prayer is for God's glory. Verse 20b, second half of the verse, that is why we utter the Amen through him, literally, to God for glory. All the translations say for his glory. That's fine. That's the idea. But it's the Amen is uttered to God with a view to his glory. That's the literal idea here. It's not uttered mainly to men, it's uttered to God for His glory. How so? Because when you say yes to God's yes, you say yes, you are glorious. Yes, you are powerful. Yes, you are wise. Yes, you are caring. Yes, you can and will answer all my prayers. I say yes to your yes to me. That's simply a way of glorifying God, affirming His affirmation of you in Christ Jesus. Third thing about prayer. Prayer is a laying hold on promises. Prayer is a laying hold on promises. It's a drawing on the account where God has deposited all his promises. You have a bank account in heaven. There are no promises that he has withheld. He hasn't invested five Percent of his promises in the IRA over here and put 95% of his promises in your account. They're all there, made over to you in Christ Jesus. Prayer is a drawing on the account of the promises of God in heaven. Prayer is not hoping against hope that there's a God with good intentions out there. Oh, that's not a Christian concept at all. Prayer is going to the bank and drawing on promises. Don't miss the connection now between the two halves of the verse. Let's let's get it again. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why we say amen through Him. That's why we pray to Him. That's what prayer means. All the promises have been made over to me. That's why I go to him in prayer and say, Amen to your yes to me. Fill me up with all that your yes to me implies. And that leads us to the last fourth point on prayer. Namely, this word, Amen, is so full and so precious for us as Christians in times of prayer. It does not mean primarily... Yes, I have just said that prayer. It means primarily, yes, you have made over to me all your promises. That's what the uh, amen at the end of your prayer should primarily mean. Amen to your promises. Amen to your grace. Amen to your power. Amen to your willingness to hear me and answer me. Amen, God. You know what you should do if you're looking for something to do during that act of consecration? Get a concordance and look up Amen in Paul's letters. Blew me away yesterday when I did it. Almost always it occurs after doxologies. Almost always. You, you do the study yourself. Signifying, just like this verse says, that Amen ascends to glory. Amen is for God's glory. That's the primary purpose of an amen. Amen to who you are. Amen to your fullness. Amen to your grace and your overflowing mercy to us in this decade to come. Yes, Lord, you are merciful. Yes, Lord, you are there. It's like a an exclamation point of faith. Maybe that's the way to think of it. Amen is like an exclamation point of faith at the end of a prayer in God's Greatness and willingness to answer us. You know, in a sense, think of it this way. As you come to the end of every prayer, and frankly, I don't think we ought to play fast and loose with the good old-fashioned childlike in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear a lot of people skipping around here with the name of Jesus. And I I just hope you're whispering it to yourself when you're not saying it out loud. Because the meaning is utterly crucial to prayer. We only pray in Jesus' name. We only go through Jesus to this bank account of promises. So when you come to the end of a prayer, you know what you're really doing? You're saying, you're hearing two amens. In Jesus' name is God's amen to you. In Jesus, I say amen to you. In Jesus, I say yes to you. In Jesus, I make over all my promises to you and say yes and amen to you in your prayer. And then when we close with the word amen, we just say amen to your amen, God. Amen to Jesus. Yes to the yes that has come to me in Jesus. Do you see that connection there at the end of your prayer? In Jesus' name means I hear your Amen. And I come in the power and authority of your amen to me in Jesus. Now I say amen to your amen in Jesus. Which brings us now to the uh, question I began with. Are you living today in the fullness of God's yes to you in Christ Jesus? Have you said yes to all of God's yes to you? Or is there this morning, as you come to the end of this decade, a no or a maybe or a not now to something that God wants to do in your life, to some promise that he has made for your cleansing and your power and your holiness and your joy and your relationship, some promise that he's made and you're saying, no, not now, maybe later. So my plea is that you would consecrate yourself in this way and you say, Lord God, at the beginning of this new decade, it will be, by your grace, the decade of my yes to all of your yes to me. I renounce the no and the maybe and the not now of my unbelief. And I pledge myself to a holy dissatisfaction. In Christ Jesus, until I've known all the fullness of God that I can possibly know. Now we move into a week of prayer together. And I'm so glad prayer week tallies with the exact first days of the decade. Let me mention to you the opportunities for your corporate consecration with us. You have in your bulletin a little yellow sheet that sums them up, but I'll just highlight a few as we close. First, beginning tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, I know that's just crazy for some, we're going to be here until midnight tonight, but I pledge to be there because there is no place I want to begin the early morning hour of the first day, of the first week, of the last decade, of the last century, of the second millennium. AD than in the house of God with the people of God. Even if it's just three of us, I will be here. We'll pray on the third floor up there at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning for half an hour and dedicate and consecrate ourselves afresh to the Lord. You can do that every day through Friday here at 7 o'clock for half an hour. Second. Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30, we will have a follow-on from the big concert of prayer. We've invited some other churches to come join us. and We'll be here in this room at 7 o'clock. Those prayer concerts and the way they're, they're designed with all kinds of praying go by so fast that an hour and a half will seem very short, I promise you. And so you can consecrate yourself to a larger vision than your own personal needs because there we're going to focus on the needs of the city and the needs of cities worldwide. Third, we're going to pray all night, Friday night, from 10 p.m. Friday until 6 a.m. Saturday morning. That's why we won't be having the 7 o'clock prayer time on Saturday morning. And as I've prayed back over this decade and thought thought about it, I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons God has blessed us as a church in this decade is because He has called us to pray all night again and again and has met us in those nights of prayer in a remarkable way. How many of you have ever been to a part or all of one of the nights of prayer? Raise your hand. Okay, so there are many of you who who may wonder how this goes. We We break every hour for about ten minutes. We have different leaders, different focuses. There's refreshment during the hours. If you need to sleep an hour, you can. If you need to come and go, you can. It's the kind of thing where... Don't think, I can't be a part of any of that if I can't be a part of all of it. There may be health reasons. There may be scheduling reasons. Come for some of it. Those first hours of worship are so powerful. And the final communion service at uh, 5 to 6 is also a mighty time. And then I urge you to take a special prayer retreat alone. Beginning on Tuesday, we want to help you with this. We're going to turn the fireside room into a lot of little cubicles for personal prayer retreats. If you're wondering how to get away from the family and be alone and quiet, come to the, I think it's from 7 in the morning till 9 at night, you can come to the fireside room alone and find a place there that will be conducive to just being with God for 3 or 4 hours, half a day or all day or just an hour. You need to be alone sometime during this week with God. And finally, I want to lift up two things that we're urging you to consider. I bought 150 of these books called A Blaze for God, and I hope they sell out because this book does just that. It sets the heart ablaze for prayer. It's a book for Christian leaders, but it is so deep and powerful that uh, it's good for everybody. They'll be on sale right out here. I think they usually sell for $10. we are selling them for 7 just above our cost. And secondly... Terry Nelson has worked hard to prepare for some of you who are willing a uh, year-long discipleship prayer journal that can be had free out here if you're willing to use it. Don't take it if you're not going to use it. To how to pray every day, different parts of the Scripture, and look for a truth phrase to carry with you all year long. So I close again by asking you, are you saying yes to all of God's yes to you in Christ Jesus. Is there a no, a maybe, a not now? Is there a holy dissatisfaction? Let's pray. Father, I pray earnestly that this week would find us wide open to you. And to all of your yes to us, may we say yes to you. Oh God, thank you so much that there is a place called Jesus Christ. There is a lover of our souls who gave himself for us in whom we hear one word, yes, and outside of whom we hear the terrible, just and holy, no. May we flee to Christ together and discover all that there is in him And as we say this last amen together, may it ring, I pray, with all the truth of our great yes to you and all the people said, amen.